You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Huge welcome to you again. My name is Josh. I have the privilege of bringing a message for you today. I'm so excited. A bit of a standalone Christmas Advent message, but I'm excited about Christmas. Anyone else excited about Christmas? I'm so pumped. It's going to be incredible. My favorite part of Christmas is the food. I mean, Jesus is Jesus. Oh man, I'm a, I failed as a pastor. But no, cl- Jesus is my favorite part. Food is definitely a close second. I want to know what people are doing for food this Christmas. Be hands if you're doing turkey. Not that many of you. Is that, I think that's because no one actually likes turkey, right? <laughs> it's like I was speaking to someone recently and I was just saying, what are you having? And they're like, uh, beef or something. And I was like, oh, you're not having turkey. And they were like, no, turkey's really dry and horrible. I'm like, yeah, but that's the point. It's Christmas. It's what we have at Christmas. Um, all right, well, what, what alternatives are people going for? Anyone going for goose? One or two. Anyone going for beef? Venison? Indian? Steve, nice. Uh, vegetarian nut roast. I apologize if, if that's you. Oh, awesome. So good. Um, I'm excited about Christmas. I can't wait. Um, but right now, we find ourselves, don't we, in the church calendar in the season of Advent. We are currently in Advent. Now, I don't know if you've taken much time to explore and discover what Advent is all about. For most of my life, I had completely ignored the season of Advent. By the time it hits mid-November, I'm in Christmas mode. I'm getting ready. I'm excited. I'm planning my presents. And I'd often overlook the season of Advent because of the busyness of this time of year and the joy of Christmas, which is right around the corner. But the last couple of years, I've really come to discover what Advent is all about and the power and the beauty of this time of year. And today I want to talk about Advent. So what is Advent? Well, what does Advent mean? Well, the word Advent means coming or arrival. So in Christmas, we celebrate the first coming, don't we? We celebrate that moment in time when Jesus was born, when God put on skin and bones and entered into the broken reality of the world. At Christmas, we celebrate that most significant moment in human history when God became man and history was split in two, BC and AD. It was the most incredible moment. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas. But if Christmas is all about celebration then Advent is all about anticipation. In Advent, we look back to that first Christmas, uh, but we also look forward. We gaze longingly at the future hope that we have, and we anticipate the return of Jesus. And as we do that, we find ourselves living in the gap in between. We sit in the tension between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. We live in the waiting and the frustration and the yearning. This is Advent. It's a time of celebration and it's a time to ache. It's a season of great hope and expectation, but it's also a time of longing and mourning. It's a moment of promise, but also of waiting, of beauty and pain. 
And so Advent is about becoming awake to living in the in-between times of being present to the reality that this world is not our home. And so we adopt in this season a posture of waiting for the Lord, of aching for his return, of embracing homesickness, of mourning the world to come. And too often we distract ourselves from this, don't we? We medicate ourselves with the things of the world to avoid any sense of silence and any acknowledgement of pain in our lives. But in Advent, the beauty of this season is that there is an invitation to slow down and stop. We've come face to face with the reality that things are not as they should be, but one day they will be. Christ has come and he is still to come. Advent, if nothing else, is about waiting in hope and yearning and longing and living in the tension. And in the midst of all of this, we, we sit with a surefire hope that one day Jesus will come back. Church, he's coming back. He's going to come again and he will come to right every wrong. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will judge all things faithfully and bring justice to every bit of injustice. He will come for all who mourn. He will renew the world. Everything in creation found in him will come fully alive. And I think our world needs these Advent moments because I'm not aware, I'm not unaware that for some of you in this room, Christmas carries with it pain and wounds, and anxiety. For many people, thousands, hundreds of thousands in our city, Christmas is the worst time of year. It's a time when grief becomes heavier. Loneliness becomes more apparent. Anxieties rise to the surface. Relational brokenness rears its head when financial pressures just become too much for people, especially in the time that we find ourselves now. The things that are buried in our past often resurface in this time of year and become open wounds. And the beauty of Advent is that in the midst of all of that, there is Jesus. And he is with us and his presence is among us. We all experience deferred longings in life, don't we? We all experience things that we're praying for and believing for and hoping for, things that we feel that God has promised us, things that we deeply desire, prophetic words that have been spoken over us in our past, encounters with the Lord, things that we're hoping for and dreaming for, but we are yet to see. We are all waiting. And the question I wanna ask today using a a fascinating character from the Bible, is how do we wait well? How can we create room in our lives for Jesus this Advent? And in a world which promises so much and yet delivers so little, how can we turn our longings and waitings towards Jesus Christ? So I want to look at someone in the Christmas story which embodies waiting, I think, more than most people, anyone else really, and it's kind of a hidden character, often forgotten, totally unglamorous, unglamorous, and yet profoundly significant. It's a guy in the Gospel of Luke called Simeon. If you've got a Bible, why don't you turn it open to Luke chapter 2. Now, Jesus has been born. I know I'm breaking the rule. We're past Christmas, uh, just a few moments past Christmas. And there is this encounter that Jesus has with a man called Simeon. And this is where we begin, Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting, 
Underline waiting if you've got a real physical Bible. For the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was waiting and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Let's just pause there for a moment. Here we meet this guy called Simeon who the Bible says was a man who was waiting. This was his life. This was his posture. He was a man who was waiting for the Lord to come, who was waiting for God to move. 800 years before this moment, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, for to us a son, a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Simeon was part of a long line of people who were waiting for God to come who were waiting for God to move for 800 years and even before that. But since this prophecy, the people of God were waiting. Simeon was a man, the Bible says, was waiting. Now put your hand up if you like waiting. Good, everyone's honest in church this morning. None of us like waiting. We hate waiting. In fact, in our culture today, we do everything we can do to avoid waiting. Imagine you're going shopping and there's a long queue, which often happens this time of year, and you're sat there. What, what do you do? when you're in the queue. I don't know about you, but I do that. I'm trying to distract myself from the agony of waiting and I occupy my mind really so that I never have to actively wait. We live in what many people call a microwave generation. Today's generation want things quick, fast and in a hurry. Everything you need to know is just one or two clicks away from you on your phone. Instant gratification has become an obsession. Patience has become a lost virtue. If we cannot have when we, what we want when we want it, we oftentimes become stressed and angry and unhappy. Is that anyone else or just me? We want things right now. We do not like to wait. Although I've discovered, and it's freaking me out a little bit, my daughter quite enjoys waiting. And let me explain why. We have just um, started to implement the naughty step. Anyone else done the naughty step or am I a terrible parent? For those of you that don't know, the naughty step is when a child is misbehaving and something's gone wrong and you kind of remove them from the situation, give them time to think about what they've done and wait. And so we started doing this uh, with, well, I started doing that. I didn't have a consultation with Hannah. I should have done. But I thought one day, Ivy was really winding me up. I said, we're going to do the naughty step. So I took her outside. I introduced her to the naughty step, the bottom step. And I said, Ivy, I want you to stay here for 20 seconds. She didn't know how, how long a second is. That could have been her lifetime. For she knows. 20 seconds, and we think about what we've done because what you've done is very naughty. And uh, she goes, yes. And I think, hmm, this is not how it's meant to go. I think this is going to be a nightmare. Uh, she's going to jump off the step and run away. And I then go and hide for 20 seconds, and I'm counting in my head. And I'm expecting she's going to run after me at any moment, say, no, daddy, no, daddy. But she doesn't. She just sits there. And I'm like, what's she plotting? Like, why? This, isn't, this is meant to be hard. And she loves the naughty step. She loves it. And so now I say to her, Ivy, Ivy, if you do that again, you go on the naughty step. And she goes, yes. And she goes off and trots and finds the naughty step and sits on it. And I'm like, what does that tell me about what she thinks about us? I kind of think, and she sat on the naughty step. I'm like, this is a trap. What's she going to do? But I really struggle with waiting. I really struggle. And yet when I read the scriptures, I can't help but think that God quite enjoys waiting. 
Well, let me say this. God enjoys it when we wait. God seems to be attracted to people who are willing to wait for him. Why? Well, when we wait on God, we're communicating that we value him. Because we wait for what we value, don't we? When we wait on God, we are fixing our minds and our hearts and our lives on the things of God. When we wait on God, we're refusing to control, refusing to manipulate, and trusting him. When we wait on God, we are cultivating in our hearts a hunger for God and for his kingdom. When we wait on God, we are making room in our hearts for the things of God. When we wait on God, we're emptying ourselves of distraction and busyness and striving and saying, Lord, here I am. I need you to move. There is great power in waiting on God. Think of all the people in the Bible who waited on God. David waited 15 years to be king. Moses, 40 years to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Sarah waited 25 years for Isaac. Joseph, 13 years in slavery and prison, just waiting. Rebecca, 20 years to give birth to Jacob and Esau. Jesus, 30 years of waiting to step into ministry. In fact, show me someone in the Bible who didn't have to wait for God to show up. God doesn't seem to have a problem with making us wait. Who's excited about that in, today, in church today? None of us. But there's something powerful in waiting. Simeon was a man who waited, and Advent is all about waiting. Let me unpack this a bit more. What does it look like for us to become a people who wait for God to move? Firstly, like Simeon, we need to get a God vision worth waiting for. Most people wait for what they want. But what if we began waiting for what's on God's heart? The Bible says Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. So Simeon had a vision of a preferred future. He had a vision not just for what he wanted for his own life, but he had a vision of what he wanted to see happen in his time, in his city, in the world. It was a vision bigger than himself. It was a vision far greater than what he could accomplish. It was a vision for his home, for God to come and break in. Church, do we have a vision beyond our own lives? Are we committed and fighting for building our own little kingdoms when actually God's heart is far greater than that? God's heart is to see every person in our city brought to life and come to know Jesus and experience hope and revival through his spirit by the power of the gospel. Have we caught and captured God's heart and vision for Hull and beyond for our nation and are we waiting for that or are we just occupying our minds and lives with other things? Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote that celebrating Advent means learning how to wait. And he says this, Not all can wait. Certainly not those who are satisfied, contented, and feel like they live in the best of all possible worlds. Those who learn to wait are uneasy about their way of life, but yet have seen a vision of greatness in the world of the future and are patiently expecting its fulfillment. Not just distracting ourselves into oblivion so as to avoid waiting. He goes on to say, the celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect and who look forward to something greater to come. I love that. That is Advent. Church, are we waiting for God to move in our time? Are we waiting for revival, expecting it 
impatiently on the edge of our seats at any moment. God could come and break in and stir it all up. Are we troubled in soul enough to stop what we're doing and pray and fast and weep and tarry and wait? If not, I believe we need to get God's vision for our city, for all that he has for us. Over the last couple of years, we've seen God do some remarkable things out of COVID. He's breathed life into us. We've seen so many new people come to our church. Our our compassion ministries have exploded. Church, we've only seen a fraction of what God wants to do. We've only seen, the best part of 300,000 people in our city who don't know Jesus. Church, I'm believing in our time, in our generation, thousands and thousands of them are going to be saved and come to know Jesus and experience life in the kingdom. We're going to need another building and then a bigger building. We're going to have to create room in our hearts, though, first in order to see all that God has for us. Do we have a vision worth waiting for? And are we occupying our time with lesser things instead of doing what seems counterproductive in just waiting expectantly and praying and fasting and weeping? Simeon was a man who waited. It's interesting to me that he was known by his waiting. I wonder if people came up to him and said, Simeon, what are you up to tonight? And he just said, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the consolation of Israel. I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm waiting. I think we have lost the art of waiting. If the kettle boils, I don't wait for it. I go on my phone. If I'm cooking dinner and it's not quite ready, I'll then put the TV and I'll occupy my mind so as to avoid waiting. But real waiting is not a passive thing. I think it is an active intention that we fix our eyes on the thing that we're waiting for. We lean in, we make room, we linger so as to have our mind and our heart occupied by him and the thing that we are waiting for. John spoke a couple of weeks ago about tarrying meetings they used to have in revivals. We're going to have some in January. And what tarry, the word tarry, I looked it up this week, it means to stay longer than intended, to delay your plans in order to create space, to refrain from moving in, moving on in order to tarry in the presence of the Lord. We just wait and pray and God hears and moves in power. So number one, get a vision worth waiting for. Number two, do what's in front of you. Now, waiting on God doesn't mean we don't do anything and we just live lives in a 24-hour prayer meeting. No, no, no. It says Simeon was righteous and devout. Righteous means he, he just did the right thing. His heart was right with God and he lived in such a way that demonstrated that. And devotion, devoted means that he was relentlessly consumed by the things of God. Guys, if you want to know how to wait well in life, whatever you're waiting for, particularly if we're waiting for God to move in our city, here is how we wait well. Stay, live right and stay devoted. Live right. Do the right thing just because it's the right thing. Speak well of people. Guard your heart. Watch your words. Monitor your thoughts. Honor your parents. Tell the truth, confess your sins, guard your integrity, protect your purity, share the gospel, pray your best, give your first, get in church, love God, love people, live for the audience of one, one foot in front of the other, every day, despite your feelings. That's what Simeon did. Just lived right before God. And then devote yourselves. Be persistent in that and relentless. The Bible calls this patient endurance. It's a long-haul devotion to the kingdom of God in season and out of season where things are great and when life is a struggle and everything you want to do is say, God, I'm running away because you've let me down. 
Simeon was a man who waited for God to move. Verse 26, if we move on, said this, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. The Holy Spirit gave Simeon a promise. You'll see the Messiah. Now, I wonder how the Holy Spirit communicated this. Maybe it was just a sense in his heart or a dream or a vision or an angelic visitation. But I wonder if some days Simeon felt like, was that even the Lord? Was that even God? Do you think he doubted that promise? He may well have done, but I believe Simeon was a man who clung on, who held on to the promises of God, even when things didn't look like it. I wonder if the enemy said to Simeon, people have been waiting 800 years that can't be right. You must have eaten something weird and felt like God was saying to you, you'll see the Messiah. Most people would have given up, but Simeon was devoted. Most people's devotion would have experienced dullness in that time. 800 years, it's not going to happen. And dullness leads to distraction, where we allow other things to occupy our time and our gaze becomes drifting and our sense of longing becomes attached to lesser things. And then distraction always leads to disillusionment. Man, God has let me down. God has let me down. Look at all the stuff that I do for God. How could he, he's promised me this, but I've not experienced it. God has maybe, God's not kept his word. And then disillusionment can lead to desertion, where it's like, hey, God, I'm out. I'm walking away. We miss all that God has for us. The key to this, guys, is devotion. And that's what happened with Simeon. And then verse 27, let's read on. This is a powerful moment. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon then took him in his arms and praised God. And you can read on. But my final point of how we wait well is firstly, get a vision for your life worth waiting for. Secondly, live right and do what's in front of you. And finally, we must walk by the Spirit. We must walk by the Spirit. While we wait for God to move and bring revival in our time and stir things up and we want to see an outpouring, that's what we're longing for and waiting for. The reality, guys, is that all over our city today, God is already at work. Most of us, many of us, Include myself in this, are too distracted and busy to notice what God is doing. But God is at work. Amen? God is at work. And I wonder what could happen if, like Simeon, our relationship was with the Holy Spirit was so close and so sensitive and so beautiful that we would be, a no, we would be known as a people who the Holy Spirit was on, like Simeon, and who were known as a people who were moved by the Holy Spirit. Luke says Simeon was moved by the Holy Spirit. He was open to the whisperings of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God whispered to Simeon. He said, now is the time. Go to the temple. And Simeon responded. Waiting for the Lord, if nothing else, is about making room in our hearts for the things of God. I love the, the, uh, the hymn, which hopefully we'll be singing tonight. Joy to the world, the carol. That verse which says, let every heart prepare him room. In Advent, we prepare room again for Jesus. We, we toss off everything that is hindering us and we fix our eyes on him. And as we do that, we begin to see and hear what God is doing and where God is already moving and we follow. Simeon followed the voice of the Holy Spirit and he encountered all that he had longed for. 
And church, let me finish with this. What might happen if amid the busyness of Christmas and the anxiety of this time of year and all the fun and the joy and the stress and everything of this Christmas season, what might happen if we would slow down enough to make room for Jesus? to hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, to hear his invitations to us. And what if we might follow? What if we would ask the question, Lord God, who, who do I need to invite to the carol service next week? It's the easiest invite you'll ever give. Honestly, the easiest. Last year, we invited a, a neighbor. I just said it once. Oh, by the way, a carol service. I didn't even give them a time. It was the worst invite ever. I didn't say anything. And they just thought, oh, carol service sounds fun. Went on the website, found all the details, and I saw them last year. And then I said to them a couple of days ago, oh, by the way, we're doing the carol service again. If you're interested, come along. They said it was the highlight of our Christmas, highlight of our life. No, it was the highlight of the Christmas, and we can't wait to come again. And I just thought, that's amazing. It's such an easy invite. What if there are people in your world that the Holy Spirit is resting upon, that the Holy Spirit, if we're open and willing to listen, might whisper, move, go, offer an invite. Step out and see what would happen. Because when we respond in those moments like Simeon, we step into the temple and we encounter Jesus. We meet him where he is. And so church, if you find yourself in a season of waiting, you're in good company. The Bible teaches that waiting is an inevitable part of life with God. Righteousness isn't actually a free ticket to instant blessing. There are seasons of winter that come for us all, and it's okay to be disappointed and frustrated. But what if God is in the waiting? And what if waiting for physical things is actually the Holy Spirit drawing our attention to eternal things? And what if we began intentionally in waiting for those eternal things Maybe God would be attracted to that and might pour out his spirit in our time. And Advent is a reminder that we are all waiting for Jesus to return. I love this summed up in the Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It says this, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. We live there in a place of mourning and exile, but a place of hope and expectation that God is gonna come again. And one day it will be glorious. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hall Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church Go to hallvineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.